All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of Tapeheads, 80s music and beyond. I am Todd in the Pacific Northwest. And I am Blaine. I'm down here in Phoenix. And today we're going to talk about Rick Astley. Never going to give you up. This is not a Rick roll. <laughs> I don't know much about this. I, I, I didn't listen to him in the 80s. I remember the song vaguely. I mean, not vaguely. I, I remember the song. I also remember this whole Rick Roll crap that was going on a few years ago. Yeah, I chose this song because sometimes when we uh, are deciding what songs to do, I start thinking of one-hit wonders, or I start thinking of things like that. And uh, for some reason, Rick Astley popped into my head, and I was like, I don't know anything about him. I mean, absolutely zero. Do you? Nope, I don't know anything. Oh, that's perfect. Rick popped into my mind, and I just thought it would be fun to learn. I know absolutely nothing about him, and nobody I know knows anything about him, and you don't know anything about him. I don't. And you specifically told me, don't do any research on him. Just follow me, and uh, let's see where it goes. Yeah, because that's kind of the fun of this. You want me to tell you what I do know about him? Yes, Uh, yeah. I mean, I do know that he was kind of like this bluish kind of singer. In the eighties, bluish, blue. Uh, he, like he did blues songs. Is that correct? No, it was total total pop. But he had a hit with that song, and I don't know exactly what year is this. Eighty seven. Okay, eighty seven. So I was probably listening to a lot of heavy metal at this time. Mm-hmm. And Beatles. And yeah, Beatles. And I kind of listened to rock music. I listened to the rock station that was in my town, and I think that this Rick Astley song played on the pop hits station that was in town and i didn't listen to that but i did know the song you know i'd heard yes. it a few times same here and then pop up uh 15 20 years later my kids you know are joking about you know rick rolled and look at this video and all this because i was like what is this where they trick people into watching the video or something right okay that's all i know so you don't know where he's from he's from england i believe he is from England. I didn't even know that before I started this. <laughs> I thought he was Canadian or something. See, I did see a, f- a few interviews of him later when he's talking about the Rickroll thing. Right, okay. Which seems like he takes that with uh, a great attitude that people are Rickrolling or whatever and that they're playing his song and he seems like a nice guy. Yeah, we'll get to that. He's from Britain. He's from a little town up near Manchester and Liverpool, sort of somewhere between. I didn't know that. (laughs) He's got one of the biggest songs of all time. And usually in cases like that where you and I would know, like, I know more about the Spice Girls than I know about Rick Astley. (laughs) That's not something I even enjoyed, but... Well, you got your Scary Spice, your Jerry Spice... And that's all I know. Sporty and posh. Sp- ah, sport. Yeah, and posh and sporty. I see. I know them all. Well, uh, what about? And do you know who uh, Sporty is married to? Yes, you do. I bet you do. The hockey guy. No. Oh, uh, no. Soccer, soccer guy. guy. Yeah. Soccer. David Beckham. <laughs> see, we know more. Bennett like Beckham. Okay. Even that minute bit of information is more than I knew about Rick Astley. Now, Rick Astley was a one-hit wonder? No, he was not. He had a bunch of hits on that album. He had one hit before that. 
and it kind of went nowhere. It wasn't a big hit. But yeah, this was his first song. And then he had other songs from this same album. He put out another album after this. It's crazy how little anybody knows about him. And he just seems like an awesome guy. So that's why I wanted to do this. Okay. So you said you did a little bit of research about this? No, I did not I did no research. Okay, good. I can't sing you the song, though. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down. Give you up and destroy you. That's all I know. <laughs> okay. so I'm sure those lyrics weren't correct. They were not. But he's only like four years older than we are. Really? Which is weird now, but it's even weirder if you think about it back then so like when that song came out he was 20 and we were like 16 so (laughs) wow that's crazy and he had already had this massive voice he played drums in a band in his little town the band was called fbi (laughs) female body inspector maybe so he was the drummer and then he started writing songs for the band and because he had such a crazy awesome voice all his band members were like all right, well, you're the singer now because (laughs) none of us can sing like that, and that's amazing. Kind of like Peter Cetera? Kind of like Peter Cetera. Did he have his mouth wired shut? He did not. Well, I didn't look that up. He could have, (laughs) but I don't think so. Well, if you're going to sing like this, you probably don't have your mouth wired shut. (laughs) And destroy you. So there's a record company guy who came out to see FBI play. And he was like, yeah, I don't know about the band, but you got a really good voice. You should come down and we should do a thing together. So Rick ended up living with that guy. He's a producer in London. He moved down to London and ended up living with him for a while and being an intern in this studio. So he lived with him no he just lived with him he didn't live with him okay (laughs) it was not that kind of relationship it's like well you can be an intern in the studio and you can learn the ropes of the music business in some of these when we start looking for songs to do every once in a while you open a door and it opens to a brick wall it just goes nowhere it's like well i thought this was gonna be a story there's no story. But in this case, this, this production company ended up being one of the hugest production companies in Britain. Does this sound familiar to you? I'm guessing it does not. No. Stock Aitken Waterman? <laughs> no. <laughs> Who? Stock Aitken Waterman. No. So, you have heard of Dead or Alive. Yes. You Spin Me Around Like a Record? That was their first number one hit. And Rick Astley's song was their second number one hit. Their third number one hit, I believe, was Kylie Minogue. And they went on to have tons of hits. This is the producers? Yeah. Okay. They're the ones who wrote this song. 
and gave it to Rick. And one of the guys was the one who Rick was living with. Oh, okay. This is the original multi-track with no effects on it in its simplest, purest form. Even though it's a simple pop song, it's got a lot of layers in it. Just the little picky guitar things. All came out of this thing called the Fairlight. It was a big modular box with all the brains in it and a keyboard and an old-fashioned monitor. And also all the strings as well. And it's one of the signatures of the song, I think. And I think if it had been done by an orchestra, please forgive me, orchestras, it might not have worked. He was living with Waterman, I think. <laughs> but Waterman also produced Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Waterman produced that before this whole trio of producers started. But then he, he got, <laughs> it's so crazy. Their first hit song, not a huge hit, but it was kind of a hit, was with Divine, the actor, the, the uh, drag queen actor. She was the one who's in all the John Waters movies. The guy with the thin mustache? Yes. So Divine made an album with this trio, and that was their first single. Second single was You Spin Me Round, which is a massive hit. Third single was Rick Astley, another massive single. And they had so many hits all through the 80s and into the early 90s. I mean, it's crazy. His song became number one all over the world. So it was the number one song? Yeah, in like 25 countries. Oh, wow. Yeah, massive hit. So kind of like Germans loving David Hasselhoff? Like everyone loving David Hasselhoff, except it was okay. everyone, everyone loving Rick Astley. You know, that's weird because it didn't even hit on my scoreboard. I mean, I knew the song, but you know, I didn't give that any kind of a... I know, neither did I. My brother had the tape. Oh, I'm sure he did. It wasn't like, you know, Killer Dwarfs or uh, Poison, which he likes listen to all the time. <laughs> but, yeah, he had it, and he listened to it a little bit, or R.E.M. This song was a massive hit all over the world, and it propelled Rick into a huge career for the next whole bunch of years. Touring state fairs? <laughs> no, like massive worldwide arenas and everywhere, and TV. Which I don't get, because how do you do that if you only have one or two hits? He had more than that. He probably had, off that album, he probably had three or four huge hits, and then he had an album after that, which he started writing his own songs instead of letting this production company write them for him. Hmm. So, yeah, he had all the money, he had all the fame, and that propelled him for the next four, five, six years. Wow. I just tell you how I'm 
Rick was kind of, he seems like kind of an introvert. Like you said, he seems like an awesome guy, a super nice guy, but he's also an introvert. And he, he never wanted that. That's not why he got into the business. He just wanted to write some songs, maybe play some drums, <laughs> you know, have a good time and see what happens. He didn't want the fame and he didn't want the trappings that go along with that. So at some point, this is probably like 92, 93, he was flying from Heathrow over to New York to be on the David Letterman show. And he called his manager and he's like, I don't want to do this. I don't know why I'm going. I mean, I, I don't need to do this. I don't want to do it. Call David, cancel this cancel this thing. I'm just going to go home and be with my family. I got a new daughter. I I don't want to do any of this. So he backed out of the David Letterman thing. And that kind of, it essentially created a retirement for him. He backed out of the business in 1993 at the age of like 27. So he backed completely out of the business until the Rick Roll started? Yeah, pretty much. He didn't play. He didn't perform. He didn't sing. He didn't put out any albums, nothing. So who started the Rick Roll? My name is Sean Cotter. I'm a master sergeant in the United States Air Force, and, uh, and I'm also the inventor of the meme on the internet called the Rick Roll. The Rick Roll is so weird. This could have easily gone wrong because it started on the internet. <laughs> and you always kind of expect the worst from the internet. Oh, yeah. It started on 4chan back when 4chan was still the birthplace of Anonymous and everybody was just kind of a bunch of like pranksters and they would all play jokes on each other and have little memes that they would create and wouldn't quite circulate out onto the main internet or out in the world. It was just kind of a circular thing that they would enjoy for each other. You're going to share a link with your friend and it could be anything, doesn't matter what it is. And you click on the link and it pops up with a picture of a duck with wheels because apparently they thought that was funny. I don't know. I don't get it. It was a duck with wheels, and you got duck rolled, and that was the joke. Ah, like okay. everyone on 4chan was doing a duck roll. <laughs> this other guy, Sean Cotter, thought it would be funny to change it from a duck roll into whenever you click on a link, it would come up with a video of Rick Astley, <laughs> which was this, you know, earworm song. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. Like this totally catchy, annoying pop song. So that became the joke in itself, which you would think could turn nasty because it was the internet, but it never did. So people didn't say, what is this crappy song? It was more like they just kept doing it. Right. It was just a funny little meme. It was kind of like a punchline or a joke. And it was called Rolled because it was like the duck with wheels. Because of the duck roll, but it was with Rick Astley, so it was a Rick roll. Rick Astley wasn't on the internet. He wasn't paying attention to anything like this. And his daughter said, uh, Dad, you need to know about this thing that exists <laughs> called a Rick roll. It's on the internet. It's kind of a joke. They're using your song, but it's not making fun of you exactly. But you need to know that it exists. And so he watched it, and he's like, oh, okay, all right, I get it. That's funny. And he's always just kind of rolled with it, or Rick rolled with it. And it kind of re revitalized his whole career. Totally. So then he starts doing the song on TV shows again. He probably didn't have a new daughter at this time, <laughs> right? So, so he kind of wanted to get back into the music business or at least do some of the stuff that he used to enjoy doing. 
I'm assuming. Yeah, that totally propelled his career. It brought that song back into the zeitgeist of the time and kept him sort of relevant in a way that he hadn't been. So it says he retired at 27. 27, 1993. Wow. He also probably was became a victim to the grunge and all that stuff, and hip-hop. Probably, yeah. And he just probably thought, you know, there's nothing in this for me. Like, I've had my success. I've done my part. I'm just going to bow out. Wow. Yeah, amazing. And also, just like, yeah, the nicest guy in the world. Well, probably if if he retired at 27, he didn't really have time to gain this thing where he thought he was better than other people or something like that where seems like a lot of musicians get and so he probably was more friendly he was living back in the real world for how many years 10 15 years oh you mean after that yeah before the rick roll thing yeah he'd had a big enough success with it it seems like you know could be wrong but it seems like he didn't really take all the fame on board it's just he had this song and it's attributed to him and he owns it. Wow. So anything good that comes from it, he'll take it. You know, great. I get all the success and all the fame. Cool. I don't have to go do anything. Great. <laughs> That's a funny story. Yeah, he just seems like an awesome guy. And the whole Rick Roll thing couldn't have happened to a better guy. You know what I mean? Well, maybe the singer for Poison, Brett Michaels. Yeah, could have happened to him too. Maybe it has. It could have happened to uh, uh, Ricky Rocket because he was like the ear of Van Gogh that grew. And if it is, we'll let you know about it. <laughs> because he and Kylie Minogue were... Lovers? No, actually, I don't think so. I mean, who knows? Okay. Um, but since they were sort of at the same time and from the same songwriting company, there are a lot of videos of them performing back then and also now which are very fun and they're just I mean it's just pure joy to watch them performing together it's so great There was a uh, a rumor going around that Rick actually sang "I Should Be So Lucky" because when you play, when you play the forty five of that song, apparently when you slow it down to thirty three, it sounds like Rick Astley, and so Kylie Minogue and Rick Astley's voices are very similar. <laughs> so a lot of people thought that he sang her song, and then they just sped it up, and oh, it's Kylie Minogue. <laughs> Which also reminded me of, there's a really great version of a, the Dolly Parton song, Jolene, slowed down from 45 to 33, and it sounds like an Elliott Smith song. It just sounds like the most haunting, beautiful thing you've ever heard. That has nothing to do with Rick Astley, but it's just interesting. <laughs> Same kind of phenomenon. So, yeah. I thought I'd share that. I'll have to try that. Yeah. Well, I could post it too in our links. <laughs> or you can try it. Just because you can 
the song was used uh, to a, apparently a good effect in the show Ted Lasso in a funeral scene. I have not seen that show. Have you seen the show? I have this right here. Watch Rick Astley's reaction to the Ted Lasso funeral scene. Oh, okay. Yeah, he talked about that. He said it was very moving and very, like, yeah, it really touched him. But I don't know anything about it. I've never seen the show. So I guess we have a little homework. <laughs> or maybe people listening have seen it and they can comment and tell us about it. Never gonna give, never gonna give. Give you up. Thank you. Do you have a cover your ears version of this song? Cover your ears. We have a new segment called Cover Your Ears, and it is where we uh, find funny versions or interesting or awesome versions on YouTube. And my version of this song is Rick singing with the Foo Fighters, done in the style of Spells Like Teen Spirit. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? So good. Well, I gotta remember how you do it. Hold on. I mean, how big do you have to be to perform at the Foo Fighters and to have it rule this much? Dave Grohl, I mean, we've talked about him already, so I mean, we already love him. But the fact that they're just willing to go in and do something like this is just so awesome. That's crazy. And so fun. Dave Grohl's rock and roll spirit is so pure and honest, and so is Rick's. They both go into it just full force. We're owning this. This is our history. We're going for it. And I love that. Did you see that uh, they announced the new drummer for Foo Fighters today? I did see that, but I don't remember his name. What was his name? It's the guy from... um, (laughs) Okay, so you remember there was a song that Dave Grohl played drums on? (laughs) Queens of the Stone Age, right? He played drums on a lot of songs. (laughs) Well, no, 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 I mean for another band. I think it's uh, the drummer for Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, okay. Did you see the other news today? Uh, no. Well, maybe. I don't know. Tina Turner died today. Oh, man. I didn't hear that. 
Yeah. Wow. We talked about her a little bit on the last show. We did. I mean, we just talked about uh, an album she did. But... Gosh. That's so I'm sad. I'm not sure. I think she was like 84 years old or something like that. Oh, she is so good. Yeah, we got to do her on a show because, I mean, she deserves that. Oh, man. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Oh. 83. So, what movie are we doing tonight? Tonight, we are talking about the movie Big from 1988 with Tom Hanks. I've seen that movie so many times that I didn't watch it again. I hadn't seen it since back in the day, which I don't know how that happened, but I saw it originally. I don't remember if it was in the theater or if my, it was with my girlfriend at the time. I don't remember, but yeah, I hadn't seen it since 1988. <laughs> I have seen a Zoltar machine. Oh, really? Yes. Where? It's not like it was something amazing. They kind of revamped them after that movie. Oh, Started okay. making a bunch yeah. of them. But. Okay. Anyway, so Big is this movie where Tom Hanks is a little kid, and what happens where I think he can't get on a ride, is that correct? Yeah, you have to be this tall in order to ride this ride, and he's not that tall, so the guy kicks him off. And the girl he likes, who's in his class, is there in line with him. And so it's extra humiliating for him. Okay. So he wishes that he'd be an adult. Well, he wakes up the next morning, and he is Tom Hanks all of a sudden. He's not this little kid. Well, I mean, you kind of glossed over that, but he walks over to the Zoltar machine. Make my wish. Right. Puts in his quarter, and he makes a wish. I wish I were big. Seems like he should have been a little more specific, because <laughs> how do you know? He could have been eight feet tall. He could have been 400 pounds. But, yeah, he wants to be big. And the Zoltar machine grants his wish. Your wish is granted. All of a sudden, he wakes up the next morning. He is an adult, and he, of course, can't show his mom. His mom freaks out when she sees him. Yes. And he kind of runs away because no one believes that this is him. And him and his friend kind of get together and they figure out that he needs to go to New York because that's possibly where they can find this machine again and change him back to normal. And they live in Long Island, New Jersey. I don't know where they live. Well, he's he's wor- he's working for a toy. He gets a job at a toy company. Oh, that's way. Yeah, that's that's further in. Yeah, but he moves to New York. Yes, he does. And I'm not sure where he lived. I think he lived in New Jersey at the time. Um, when he was a little kid. The funny thing is when uh, Tom Hanks' character, his new character's name is Josh, and his friend's name is Billy. Yeah. When Josh goes to meet Billy, he gets to tell him what happened, like after this transformation, after he becomes big, he goes and meets Billy at school. And as soon as he goes to the locker room and meets Billy, he captures him after a basketball game, which just goes terrible. And he's like, oh, hey, Billy, it's me. I'm your best friend. Yeah. Billy immediately starts crying and freaking out. It's Josh. Do you remember that? Yeah. I'm your best friend. Please, you can't believe me. And then tell he they do the shimmy shimmy coco bop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I know I don't look like myself, okay? But something really strange happened, and I'm really scared. I need you to help me, my best friend. 
I can prove it to you. The crying and freaking out thing is kind of like, who does that? Like the kid, unless he's trauma survivor or something. Right. Like, it's crazy. So he moves to New York and he has to get a job because it costs money to have an apartment. Or even a crappy hotel. Yes. And so he gets a job at this toy company and he immediately is very good at it because he's a kid and he knows what kids like. (laughs) And he kind of falls in love with this other girl and she falls in love with him at the toy company. And... I don't know. It's a great story. And one of the things, he goes to the FAO Schwartz. Oh, so iconic. They play um, Heart and Soul and Chopsticks on the um, FAO Schwartz walking piano. Piano lessons. Three years. They do. Every day after school. I remember FAO Schwartz in Bellevue had the same... You know, they put the walking piano in there, mostly because of the movie, I'm sure. Oh, it had to be. When they filmed that scene, Robert Laja, is that how you say his name? And Tom Hanks practiced this on a cardboard piano for a long time so they could get it right. And then the day that they went and shot this, they saw that there was people standing by dressed as them with the same stuff to be ready to stand in and, and do this scene for them if they weren't able to do it but they they were able to do it that's just such an awesome scene and it's just so so heartfelt (laughs) just so lovely there was a bunch of different people that were before tom hanks as far as getting the part of Josh. Kevin Costner was offered it. Oh, Steve wow. Gutenberg, wow. Warren Beatty, Dennis Quaid, Matthew Modine. They all turned the role down. Crazy, huh? I can't imagine Warren Beatty. And Gary Busey auditioned for the role of Josh. Also can't imagine that. But Penny Marshall didn't think he could pull off playing an adult. <laughs> I mean, Tom Hanks is just the perfect. Tom Hanks does a beautiful job at it. He's just—he's a great actor. He's the perfect person. Yeah, there's no one who could have done that better. And the little kid who's the actor looks so much like him. Well, originally, Steven Spielberg was on board to do this movie, and he wanted Harrison Ford to play Josh. (laughs) But uh, scheduling conflicts or something, he had to back out of the movie, and then Penny Marshall did it, but... Yeah, I don't think Harrison Ford would not have been good at that. He acts the same way in all of his movies. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, Harrison Ford, he can't play a kid. Like, Tom Hanks has that perfect bubbly energy. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, Harrison Ford would have been terrible at Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Laugh it up, fuzzball. There are a few times when Josh, as an adult, acts like a 13-year-old. Susan, she'll say, oh, we should do this or we should do that. And Josh will act in a certain way that makes you almost feel like he's maybe autistic or, you know, on the autism spectrum or has Asperger's or something because he's just, he doesn't respond in the usual ways or like 
when she wants to come over and spend the night at his place, he's like, oh, you mean like a sleepover? She's like, uh, yeah. There's room enough here for two. (laughs) Why don't we call it a day? Why don't we call it a day? (laughs) But he's like, okay, well, as long as I get to be on top, she must think he's autistic. And like, he's really great at designing these toys and products and all that. But when it comes to being with her and being sort of genuine and, you know, she asks how he feels about her and stuff like that. And he's like throwing pillows at her like, yeah, I like you kind of thing. It's really a heartwarming story. He falls in love with this girl, but he does return to be himself. He finds the machine. Yes. They have been looking for this machine for a while. This whole time he's working, him and his friend Billy have been looking for this machine so he can go and get himself changed back to a kid and they finally found it and he does come back as a kid yes he's sitting in the car with her and telling her i'm a 13 year old kid this can never work between us you know i'm sorry and she's like oh maybe you should keep my number for you know the future i'm sorry no i'll be okay you'll be fine 10 years Isn't she come back at the end as another girl? I guess I'm totally confused because I I did not watch this. No, you know what? There's an alternate ending. It's kind of like mythical. It existed in a couple of countries, but it's hard to know. Like, it just sounds like an awesome ending. Like, she went to go find the Zoltar machine and become a teenager herself to go back to be his same age. That's not in the regular movie, and it's not in like the extended version of it. Oh, okay. That would be just such an awesome ending, but it's not in the original one. What a great movie. Oh, it is a great movie. Yeah, I can't believe I hadn't seen it in this long. All right, well, thank you for joining us. Today we talked about Rick Astley and Big, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Listen to some of our other shows. We did a whole special, a four-part special on heavy metal popularity right before grunge take a listen to that we've done some other (laughs) ones paul mccartney tears for fears yes yeah we got a lot take a listen tell us what you think drop us a line tapeheads80 at gmail.com thanks we'll see you next time